Today's reading is from Leviticus chapter 16 and we're just doing verses 1 through to 22. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with a finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the, on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Well, I'm down in the, the church office, down in the bunker in the basement here um, for another week. And it's the second in our series, Enjoying God. Last week, we thought about enjoying God the Father. Uh, we thought of the love uh, from him to us that we could enjoy through adoption. 
and uh, we thought about the good gifts as well that he gives. And this week, as John said at the beginning, we're going to be thinking about enjoying Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son. And look, I've become painfully aware this week as I've been preparing the sermon that the topic and the theme that will fill the all of eternity um, is not very possible to to get into a twenty five minute or so sermon. Um, to be honest, twenty five years of preaching wouldn't do it, it justice. Uh, twenty five years of, of sermons. And so, what we're going to do today is a is a bit of a, a whistle stop tour, as John said, through three different topics uh, of Jesus that we'll be looking at, and it. We'll be stretching, I think, in places, maybe concepts, new things uh, for you at, at times. But it will be a whistle-stop tour. And, and each of these places where we're stopping, each of these topics, in their own sense, are full meals. Okay? They're full meals, but we'll really just be snacking on them. So um, I don't know if you're watching Great British Bake Off at the moment or if you gave up 15 seasons ago or whenever it started. Uh, but Great British Bake Off, you think each time the judges... They just take a tiny snack, don't they? A little slither of the cake to taste. And they sort of, yeah, it's a good one. We like it. And then they move on to the next cake or whatever. But they only ever take a snack a little bit. But I like to imagine that that the judges, Paul Hollywood, uh, the one that he really likes, the the cake that he really likes, he he gets, takes to the back room behind the cameras and um, gets a mug of tea and and really enjoys that cake for what it's worth, all of it. Uh, And so today we're we're just going to be snacking, taking a slither really of of these teachings about Jesus. But I hope that you'll want to come back uh, to enjoy more. And uh, that will be the theme really of of your Christian life for the rest of your life. Sometimes then people divide uh, Jesus into his person and to his work. Of course, the two go together. Uh, But we thought a lot in the summer about the person of Jesus Christ, didn't we? In that summer link uh, series we had, gentle and lowly, we thought about Jesus's compassion, uh, his humility, his mercy, amongst other things. And so today, I want us to focus on the work of Jesus Christ, what he's done, and what he's doing, and what he will do. And look, if if you're not a if you're not a Christian, you you might have asked the question or be asking the question, why why is Jesus such a big deal? Why is this guy, this Middle Eastern bloke who lived so long ago, why is he worshipped by so many people around the world today? If that's something you've ever asked, I hope that today will be really useful for you. Well, the first thing we're going to look at is this. I want us to look back to that Jesus has made atonement, the first point. And we're going to look back to the events that happened uh, on a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to a famous cross where Jesus Christ died, because that really is the heart of Christianity. It's the epicentre of the gospel. And it's necessary because when we we fail to to dwell on the cross and to think hard about the cross, when we fail to do that, it can often sap our joy in the Christian life. As one writer put it, it's not only the most important message Uh, really in all history, it is the only essential message in all of history. And so if we we want our joy to increase in what Jesus Christ has done, well, then we need to increase our understanding of of what it is exactly that he has done. And really central to understanding the cross is Jesus's work of atonement. 
atonement it's not really a word that we drop into conversation every day is it um but but atonement sometimes has been broken up you might have heard this before as at one month at one month that is how we are made one reconciled to god uh, how enemies then are made friends with him and atonement is really really vital in the bible because the bible would say that actually naturally each one of us is guilty before god our sin deserves punishment because all sin is is personal rebellion against god himself and the bible clearly describes god as holy as righteous as perfect and just and he is naturally angry with sin this might be a surprise to you but actually it's only when we understand that that we'll understand how wonderful and how powerful the cross of jesus really is and see every human being from bankers to bakers to bank robbers to ballerinas every single one needs atonement to be made for them and pivotal to how atonement works is is substitution is a swap that takes place that's not just a a kind of new testament thing we get that all the way through the bible so come with me uh, time travel with me to the book of leviticus in the old testament sometimes the book of leviticus can be the butt of jokes or the book that we skip over there's a girl at at church at the moment who i know is trying to listen to the entire bible in one month that's quite an impressive feat if she's able to do that and and the book of leviticus is often the one that that people sort of think oh i'll skip over that or i'll give up my bible reading plan when i get to that book but actually the book of leviticus is great because it it answers a hugely important question of how a holy god can dwell with sinful people or, or in another way, how atonement, at one moment, can be made with God. And at the centre of that book of Leviticus is chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You might have heard of it. And it was a big deal. If you were an Israelite then, uh, the, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that would be absolutely marked off in your diaries, like the key event, the key day of the year your family you get them out of bed early maybe on that day this is a really important day and you you meet your extended family and you go down to see what happens on the day of atonement it's crucial and verse 5 of that reading if you've got a bible open at leviticus 16 integral to that day was the work of the high priest two goats we're told were brought to the high priest goats without blemish and in verse 8 we're shown that one of those goats number goat number one we could say was killed by the high priest as a sin offering that was the death that the sinners deserved was taken by this goat by this substitute the goat symbolically took the sin of the people the blood that was shed represented life that needed to be given as a payment for sin and so then the high priest acting as a as a sort of go-between as a mediator between god and sinful people took goat number two, verse 21, and the priest lay his hands on the goat, confessing the sins of the people. That goat was called the scapegoat. That's where we get our term from today. And that scapegoat was sent off to run free in in the wilderness, symbolically removing the people's sin far away from them. And so imagine your family, Maybe you meet with your cousins, your extended family, and you get together for that day of atonement. And you see the way that substitution has been made, that someone else, another animal there, instead of you, has paid 
for the sin and the punishment that you deserve. And, and very visually, vividly, you see that has taken place instead of you. But I guess maybe we, we hear this. We heard the reading. We think this is a bit weird for our modern ears. It's a bit cruel maybe to the animals, you might be thinking. Well, lots could be said on this, but at the very least, it shows the seriousness of sin, doesn't it? That this had to happen. It shows the costliness of atonement, of, of what needed to be done to make atonement. And it foreshadows the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there was a dawning realisation in the Old Testament that, that even with all these extensive requirements that the people had to do over and over again, the high priest was unable to make lasting atonement. And the animal sacrifices, well, they couldn't finally and fully atone for sin. And so Hebrews 10 verse 4 says in the New Testament, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. A better sacrifice was needed. Are you still with me so far as we've taken our time travel through the Old Testament? Well, we move on to the New Testament and Jesus Christ is called in Hebrews our great high priest. Because get this, he's the fulfillment of both the mediator and the sacrifice. OK, so he's the mediator. His perfect life meant that he could go between us and God and represent us. But he's also the sacrifice because he offered his life willingly as a perfect sacrifice, as he substituted in for us at the cross. But whether this is the first or the millionth time that you've heard this <laughs> explained, listen to these words afresh from 2 Corinthians 5.21 that explain it. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So the cross becomes the only way that sinners can be made one and restored to a holy God. The awful problem of sin is solved by the cross of Jesus Christ as the saviour stood in my place, your place, as a substitute. And it wasn't just the blood of goats. Here it was the bloodshed of, of the Son as he bore our sin, as he carried our guilt, as he covered our shame, as he satisfied God's wrath. And so we look back, but we never do move on from the cross or, or get excited about something else instead. Here's a quote that will come up here by one writer. He said it this way, the cross is the blazing fire with which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. That is that we need to, to think and dwell upon the cross regularly, because the more central the cross work of Jesus Christ is in our lives, in our daily experience, the more that we'll experience joy in what he has done. So I can ask a question, are you making space to cultivate joy in the work of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. There's no better daily habit than to, to meditate on the cross, to treasure what Christ has done in your heart, for it to be your best thought, to, for it to be your obsession. That might be by memorizing verses in the Bible about the cross, having those in your mind. 
might be listening to songs about the cross on Spotify or downloading that. It might be putting on your Christmas list a book or an audio book that, that speaks about the cross and explains the cross and, and what it means. If you're struggling for ideas or recommendations, do chat to one of us on the staff team about that. So we never want to be people who lose the wonder in that sacrifice of atonement that Jesus has made. And do you remember last week we thought about union and communion? Well, if you have union, if you are united with Jesus Christ, get this, that, that every ounce of the fury that God would have brought on you was fully poured out on Christ the Son as that substitutionary sacrifice of atonement in those three terrible hours on Calvary. Jesus has done that. So the right response is to sing and to thank him for what he has done. And we're going to do that, as John said, the talk is in three parts. And as we listen to this song, it's old words, it's an old hymn, but I want you to particularly listen to words that speak about the atonement, speak about the sacrifice that has been made for you. So sing along and enjoy these words. Well, we've looked back. We've looked back at the cross. And, and I guess that is something that maybe we're fairly used to. But I now want us to think more currently of what Jesus is doing now. I, I don't know if that's something that we think about much, what he's doing at this moment. Um, and it's not just a, a question to sort of satisfy our curiosity. It's much more important than that, because it shows that Jesus isn't dead, but that he's alive at this moment. And so in one sense, Jesus is, is ruling over the church. Uh, he's saving people. He's interceding. But I want us to think in another sense about the fact that Jesus Christ is sitting down. That's our second point, that Jesus is sitting down. Tim Chester, in his book that I referred to last week, he refers to us as, as Jesus is busy doing nothing. It might sound a bit strange, but let me show you that from Hebrews, the reading that will come up on the screen. So come up in a, in a few moments. Um, if you've got a Bible as well, this might be a good chance just to turn to that in Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus then, according to those Verses is busy doing nothing. He's sitting. His work is finished. It's done. It's complete. We had a phone call earlier this week uh, from my mother-in-law to say that after 25 years or so working for the same company, she's going to be retiring. It's, it's long been talked about, and it's going to happen in February next year. She's going to hang up her boots and and finish and retire. And she's the kind of person that is up at the crack of dawn. Um, she's She's very kind of busy. She's, she's always on her feet. She's always doing something. But actually, as February comes, we'll we celebrate her work, the many years of work that she's done. And she'll be able to, that morning, maybe pour a cup of coffee, sit down, snooze her alarm, and sit down in a chair and say, that's it. No more emails. No more client meetings. It's done. And Jesus, in Hebrews 10, it, it's done. <laughs> His words on the cross, do you remember? It is finished. Nothing more to do. Remember the work of the 
priest or the high priest in the past was never ending. There were no breaks. There was no sitting down. There was no chair in the tabernacle because there were many sacrifices that need to be made. But do you remember, they couldn't properly and completely deal with sin. But verse 12 in that reading, if you've got that open in front of you in, in Hebrews 10, verse 12, says that the one sacrifice Jesus made on the cross triumphed over sin and death for all time and is powerful forever. Jesus is one. And so Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. That is the place of all power and authority. And did you notice what that achieves for us in verse 14? It achieves the fact that now we have been made perfect forever through his sacrifice. You might say, well, really? <laughs> perfect forever? Um, did you see my life this morning, my sin this week? Well, of course, it doesn't mean that we don't sin now, but, but it's saying like in God's eyes, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he now views us as perfect in him. Nothing more than is to be done to pay for sins or to deal with wrath. Jesus is the, the high priest forever. That doesn't mean that he has a four-year kind of term or an eight-year maximum term. He doesn't need to be re-elected into office or anything like that. And unlike the Old Testament high priest, he never needs to take a nap or have a break or he doesn't die. He's the great high priest forever whose work is done. But maybe we hear this and we, if we're honest, we, we struggle to get excited by that. The fact that Jesus is sitting down doesn't sort of thrill us with joy or get us out of bed in the morning to, to hear that. And um, let me just share a story a few years ago of a, a talk I, I listened to a clip of. And it was a talk in the States, mega church, you know, big sort of theatre, loads of people there. And, and very unusually for the, in the sermon and for the whole service, a guy was in the centre of the stage dressed as an Old Testament priest, just dressed as an Old Testament priest. He was wearing the full kind of get up and go, all the, all the garb. And, uh, and he was wearing that through the notices and through the leading and through the songs. This guy was standing there like a lemon, just everyone else is in, you know, hoodies and jeans and shorts. This guy was wearing this full kind of Old Testament priest um, get up and go. And, um, and it, was quite, it was quite weird. Uh, seeing this guy do this but and nothing was made of it nothing was explained of it at all until near the end of the sermon the preacher said look in a minute this this priest here on the stage pretending pretending priest he's going to sit down on the chair he's been standing up for a couple of hours almost now he's going to sit down and when he does that uh, that's going to symbolically, just in a little way here, show that Christ, Christ has sat down. That's the point he's making. And when that happens, I want you to go crazy. I want you to cheer and whoop and get really excited in this congregation when that happens. And because uh, he said, I've seen some of you at sports matches. I've seen some of you at sports games. And when your team scores a goal or a try or a penalty or whatever, you go mental. You 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 celebrate. You whoop. You cheer. That's nothing. Je Jesus has sat down. His sacrifice is completed. It, it, everything's done. That should excite us more. And so when this guy sits down, I want us to celebrate. And you see in this church of a couple of thousand people there, they go absolutely crazy and sort of American style whoops and cheers and, and screaming and shouting and rejoicing in the fact that the high priest has sat down. I don't think we can do that today online. We're not going to do that. But it is something that can excite us. We look back to the cross as we did a minute ago. We do that regularly, don't we? But, but how often do we look up and see Jesus Christ, your great high priest, 
and the fact that he has sat down. Because it shows that the cross worked and that you're now perfect in God's sight because of the cross. Every now and then someone asks me if Trinity is a, what kind of church it is. Is it Catholic or not? Or, you know, what makes our church different than the Catholic church and those kind of things? And a number of ways you can answer that question. But one big difference is the teaching about communion or the Lord's Supper, as we call it. See, in the Roman Catholic Church, they teach that the mass that takes place extends the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you take part, that is, in, in the mass, then in the Roman Catholic Church, that's believed to take away your sin. But that completely undermines the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, Jesus has sat down. The work is done. No more sacrifice needs to be offered at all. And so that's why that teaching in the Roman Catholic Church is, is false on that issue. Jesus' work is done. And so how do we respond? Well, in a sense, like Jesus, we need to be busy doing nothing. Of course, there's lots we can get on within the Christian life. But in terms of earning our salvation or, or kind of winning our Father's approval, nothing is to be done. So what do we need to do to make ourselves on a right standing with God when we've sinned or when we've failed? When we've lost it on our spouse this week or when we've looked at porn or, or got drunk? We need to do nothing. It's good for us to confess our sins, but, but in terms of, of the Father's approval, no more sacrifice needs to be made. We're tempted to pursue God our own confidence through our actions. We need to remember Jesus Christ sitting down. And in response to that, you and I can rest, can relax. We can enjoy the work that is finished on the cross. And I want to warn you, I want to warn you to, to be very wary of any preacher at Trinity or elsewhere, or any author, or any Bible study leader, that tells you that Christ's sacrifice made on the cross is incomplete or that something else is needed to make you right with God. That's sort of implying, isn't it, that Christ did 99% and that we sort of need to top it up with 1% through the mass or becoming a Bible study leader or praying more. No, he's made 100% full attainment and it's done. He's sitting down. And we're going to celebrate that again in song now, but before we come back to the more brief third point that I've got for us. Well, thanks to our musicians for their hard work and all the recording they've been doing this week. Well, we've looked back, we've looked up, and you probably guessed it. Our final point is looking forward, looking up. And I want us just to, to take us to a reading that comes in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 to 18. It says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This then is the, the great hope of the New Testament and church. It's the great hope for us at Trinity as well, that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming back. One of the final words in the Bible, in the book of Revelation from Jesus is this, surely I am coming soon. 
but we don't know the date. We don't know the time. What we do know is that the result on that day, that there will be judgment for those who don't know Jesus and there will be reward for those who do. And just three little things from that 1 Thessalonians reading, if you want to have that open at chapter 4 in front of you. Verse 16 of it, the first little point says this, that, that it will be the Lord himself who comes. It's not an assistant or a deputy that he sends. It will be Jesus personally, visibly returning. Verse 17, the second little thing, believers will be caught up in the air with him. First, believers who have died in the past. And then secondly, those who are still living. We don't have time to go into all the, the details of that exactly. But, but the third little thing is, is that the final destination is clear. That we'll be with the Lord forever. There's going to be stacks of privileges about heaven, the new creation, that the physical beauty of a creation that isn't stained in any way with sin, no pain and suffering, that we'll be reigning with Christ in God's kingdom. So many amazing things we could dwell on. But the greatest joy of all is that we will be with Christ forever. We'll see Jesus face to face. That the throne of God and of the Lamb, we're told, that is Jesus, will be in the city. And we saw last time that our joy on a daily basis is like a roller coaster, isn't it? If you're anything like me, it can go up and down, our, our joy in Jesus. But when we're in the new creation with Jesus himself, our joy will be multiplied a trillion times over. Because on that day, we'll know perfectly why it was that we were created. On that day when we were with Jesus, we'll know perfectly what, what David meant in Psalm 16 when he said, in your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. We'll we get that. We'll experience that. And so Paul says in verse 18 of that passage, encourage one another with these words. That's particularly, I think, for when Christians have died, like Jonathan earlier this year, we were able to encourage each other, weren't we, with the hope that we don't need to grieve as, as those without hope. But we're also to encourage each other at Trinity regularly as we look forward to being with Christ forever. I don't know when the last time, it's probably not really been much this year, but when you've been in a large crowd, maybe you've been to a gig somewhere and the bass has kind of gone through your heart, you know, like it does in a big stadium or been at a big sports event. And it's amazing, isn't it, to be there with so many other people singing or, or chanting or whatever it might be. Um, earlier this year, actually, it feels like a long time before COVID in, in January. Um, I went with James Main, who did our prayers earlier. I went with James to, to watch a football match at Old Trafford, Manchester United. And as Marcus Rashford, the, the darling of the nation at the moment, as he scored a goal, it was amazing to, to be with 65, 70,000 people all shouting his name and cheering, putting their loyalties you know, differences in life beside it as we cheered and we shouted together. It was amazing to, to experience that. James Maine just losing it, going crazy, really enjoying it. Apparently Felicity is even worse when she goes along to watch matches as well. <laughs> One voice, united by common love, putting all differences aside. But that is no comparison to the multitude on the day when Jesus comes back, singing praises to him, the Lamb, seated on the throne, the one who, who sacrificed his life to make atonement for you. Just imagine that the overwhelming joy, the overwhelming experience when we see him face to face on that day. It's going to be great, isn't it? 
as we see the love that he showed for us, it, see the nails in his hands and, and his pierced side for you, and we see the love that he shed for us at the cross. And so we're to encourage one another as we wait for that day where we'll be with the Lord forever, where, where books or, or sermon series on enjoying God will no longer be needed because we'll be with him in this new creation forever. And so we look back. We look back. Jesus has made atonement. We, we look up. Jesus is sat down right now. The work is done. And we look forward. Jesus will come back again, certainly. We've snacked on these things. We've taken a little slither of these amazing, amazing truths. Maybe this week, the rest of our Christian life, we come back and, and delve into the whole meal as we enjoy these truths more and more. Because the more we think about these things, the more we enjoy and understand these things, the more it will help us treasure Christ and enjoy him and delight in him also. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing a last song all about that wonderful return of the Lord Jesus. Father God, these things that we've thought about today, we, we haven't given justice to, I haven't given justice to in the time that we've had. But I thank you that these are things that we can keep thinking about. And it's a person, as John said at the beginning, that we can be thinking about and having a relationship with. Thank you, Lord, for, for lovingly stooping to this earth so that we could get to know you, so that we might be saved through that sacrifice of atonement, and so that we might enjoy all eternity with Jesus in his presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.